wanting to stay in here, they can understand most of them, I think, what we're going to talk about today, and so that is okay, too. We encourage parents to have their children in church when they're ready to do so. Acts chapter 8, and we'll begin where we were last week. The preacher that we had last week preached out of this same passage. Acts chapter 8 and verse 25, it says, And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. God was doing a great thing in Samaria and using Philip as well. Verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. You've probably heard of Gaza. It's still there. And uh, so he's going from a fantastic event in Samaria where lots of people are turning to Christ and getting saved. And God is telling Philip, I want you to go out in the middle of nowhere in the desert of Gaza. Verse 27, he obeyed, he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure. And had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He traveled all the way from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem just to worship. Now, of course, this is just within a few months of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is just within several weeks of that happening. But the Ethiopian would not have known that traveling all the way from Ethiopia up there. But it says in verse 28, he was returning from Jerusalem where he had gone to worship and sitting in his chariot, he was reading... Isaiah or Isaiah the prophet that means he had a scroll of Isaiah a pretty good size scroll just of one book of the Bible we're so we're so convenient in today's convenient society we don't realize how spoiled we are to carry 66 books in one hand but he he I don't know maybe he purchased it but he returned and he was reading Isaiah just reading and of course it wasn't chapterized like we have it today, but he was reading Isaiah 53, and he was just reading in Isaiah. And it says, as he was reading in his chariot, then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. If I can say it in modern terms, go hitchhike a ride. Verse 30, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? You're reading from the word of God. Do you understand what you're reading? In verse 31, he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth Isaiah 53 all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and like a sheep before his shears yet he opened not his mouth verse 34 the eunuch looked up from reading and answered Philip and said I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this of himself or of some other man you talk about a home run pitch. The Ethiopian says to the to the preacher, who is this that Isaiah was writing about? Was he writing about himself? Or who who is this lamb? Who is this person? 
Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. You know, when it's all said and done, that's what we're supposed to do is just preach Jesus. Let's not get sidetracked with politics and all the other issues that have importance but are not the main thing. But he he preached unto him Jesus in verse 36, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, today's message I have preached before. I have mentioned this before. If you come here for any length of time, you have heard me say it before. Someone who used to be a member of our church and now lives halfway around the world messaged me a few weeks ago and said, Pastor, what's that verse? I know you talk about it, but what, where is it at? And so I told him. But I want to just talk to you today about the missing verse. If you have a good old-fashioned King James Bible, you'll not have anything missing. But if you happen to have a different version of the Bible today, there's a real good chance that verse 37 is not there. If it's not there, there might be a little asterisk or something, and down below it might say, not found in the most reliable manuscripts or something like that in small print. Or it might be there, but it might be in brackets with that same little qualification down below but again verse 36 as they went on their way they came into a certain water and the eunuch said see here is water what doth hinder me to be baptized in verse 37 philip said if thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest and he answered and said i believe that jesus christ is the son of god and he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water both philip and the eunuch and he baptized him And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Let's pray, and we'll go on today. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help me to be clear, and help us to understand from you today what your word teaches and what we must know and what everyone in this world must know. Lord, we thank you for our blessings, and we thank you and praise you for just the goodness and the blessings and the encouraging things that happen along the way. But most of all, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for salvation. We ask that you just speak with us and speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There is something in the word of God about adding or subtracting subtracting to God's word. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says that we ought not add to or take away from the word of God. We, we are in, in big trouble if we do such a thing. In Proverbs chapter 30, in the few, few, first few verses, you'll again have a warning about do not add to or take away from the word of God. In Revelation 22, on the last page of the Bible, the Bible tells us if any man adds to or takes away from this book, God will add to and uh, to him the, the plagues that are written in this book. I, I think it, it's, it's real clear that we ought not add to or take away from the word of God. It is God's word, and I believe that the Bible I have in English is God's word in English, and I can read it and have the confirmation of knowing I'm reading it to you in English, and praise God for that. Just this past week, there was the remembrance of William Tyndale, and and I think it was Friday, October 6th, was the anniversary of the death of William Tyndale, whose desire was that God's word could be read in English so that even the common plowboy could understand the word of God, just like the priest who only only, uh, had the Bible in Latin at the time. I do believe it is God's desire that man, all of us, know and understand the the very word of God. 
So don't, don't be alarmed or shocked when we find out that God's word is being tampered with. That's Satan's oldest trick in the book. That's what he's, he's been doing all these years. As a matter of fact, the first thing you ever hear him say in Genesis chapter 3, he said to Eve, did God really say that? And he's been casting doubt on God's word ever since. Just know that. I mentioned that the chapters and verses did not exist in the original manuscripts. In other words, Isaiah was just written out. There was no divisions of chapters. I, I for one, am very thankful for chapters and verses that came along about five, 600 years ago because if it wasn't for chapter and verse, we'd all be like, okay, let's turn to Acts chapter, I mean, let's turn to Acts and uh, it'd take forever for all of us to get on the same page. So I'm thankful for the chapters and verses. I'm also thankful for the chapters and verses because when I used to go to the Star Academy Juvenile Center here in town, uh, I would go and talk to the young men and ladies, and especially the young men. I spent a lot more time with them, and and, uh, I would show them the missing verse because, see, the standard is the King James Bible, and all the numbering and everything is based off of the the numbering of the King James Bible. So even when these modern versions have been coming out, they can't just they can't go from thirty six and make thirty eight thirty seven because it will mess up all the reference material that goes along with it, like the concordance and things like that. So they have to literally have a thirty six and a thirty eight, even if they don't have a thirty seven. It just jumps from thirty six to thirty eight. And if you've got a modern English Bible, like I say, there's a good chance you've got one where thirty seven is just not there. Now the juveniles at the detention center, they might not be very doctrinally sound, but they do know that thirty seven comes after thirty six. And so if you show them that, they're like, "Whoa, that's messed up." And that's right, it is messed up. But um, why? Why is it that way? Well, scholars have decided it shouldn't be there. Scholars have decided that it's not, it's not documented that it is really supposed to be. I have a question. There is, what, 41, 40 verses in that chapter. Of all the verses that are missing in that chapter, why does it have to be that one? Do you know what that says? That says the very thing you got to know. Can I, can I tell you what it reads like? Let's just skip 37. Verse 36, here we go again. And they went on their way, and they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Ah. I just read to you what most religions teach. Most religions teach baptism, but they do not teach belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't take long after a few decades and centuries for people to start to be conditioned and even pastors and priests to get conditioned to not think 37 after all, if it's not supposed to be there, we better ignore it. And after a while, the new Bibles come out without it in there, and pretty soon, well, baptism is it. So after a while, well, there's no sense waiting until Johnny and Susie grow up to be this tall. I mean, if, if baptism is what they need, then let's just baptize them as soon as they're born. My dad was baptized when he was a baby. He wasn't really baptized, but that's what they called it. 
Why do you think 37 is missing? Because it says this, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. How important is believing? I mean, really, is it, is it that important? I mean, I mean, is it is it necessary? Well, let's look. John chapter 3 and verse 16. You've probably heard of this verse before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever is baptized. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me try that again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 6. Romans 1 verse 6 reads this way. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that is baptized. No. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Belief. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. You see, folks, the devil doesn't care how religious you are as long as that's what you trust in versus belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. We teach here, and we have to constantly emphasize to you that salvation is not something you earn. Salvation is not something you did to go to heaven. Salvation is something that you trust in. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no doing involved when it comes to salvation sometimes i've talked to people and i'll ask them are you born again and they'll say yes i say tell me about it could you tell me well i was baptized and 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 i'll try to be very 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 patient and and gracious i don't want to offend i just now wait a minute you said you were baptized but but when did you actually believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I tell you that probably there are millions of people in hell right now that had gotten baptized sometime in their life? Paul Harvey used to think, used to say this, if I were the devil, you've heard that Paul Harvey, if I were the devil, Listen, if I were the devil, I wouldn't care if people were religious and even got baptized as long as they skipped the thing they needed the most. Verse 37, belief. What better way to fool people 
than to give them the wrong conception of what salvation is by labeling it Christian and having them do some sort of an event that then labels them as Christian. If I were the devil, I would not count on the church of Satan to get the most people. I would just count on what looks like Christian churches. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. That's belief. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You want to talk about the gift of God? There was a man hanging on a cross. And he deserved to be hanging on that cross because he was a criminal. And in the center between the three crosses, in the middle was a man who did not deserve to be on the cross. And the Bible says in the Gospels that both men were cursing the one in the middle. And then something amazing happened. The one guy on the one side all of a sudden had a change of heart and of mind and said, don't you realize who this is? And he turned to the man in the middle and said, Lord, today would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You talk about a gift. You talk about zero ability to earn it. And he did not get baptized. I, I guarantee you the centurion soldiers didn't say, oh, time out, we got to get that guy baptized. No, he died hanging to that cross, but he died hanging on to the promise that the man in the middle gave to him. You've probably seen that on the internet about the man on the cross as if he went to heaven and they didn't know who he was. How'd you get here? Why are you here? The man in the middle said, I could come. Well, explain to us how that happened. He just, I asked, he said I could come. Well, tell us what it means to be, tell us the doctrine of soteriology. I just know that he said I could come. It's a gift. Jesus said it's easier for children. It's easier for children. He said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He says, it's easier to get a, 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 a camel through the eye of a needle than a rich man or someone with intelligence and status to understand it's not works. It's a gift. It's not a works, lest any man should boast. That's probably one of the best things about the thief on the cross is when we get to heaven, he's just going to be standing there saying, I don't deserve to be here, but I'm here because of the gift. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton said, when I get to heaven, I want to sit down with the thief on the cross because I figure he and I have a lot in common. It's a gift and pride doesn't like gifts. Pride says, I want to earn it. Pride has to achieve. Pride pays his own way. Well, if you do that when it comes to this subject, you'll be in hell, friend. One more passage as we talk about belief. Go to Mark chapter 16. I just want to review this with you quickly because it might come up and I want to make sure we tackle it before it does. Mark 16 and verse 15. 
Mark 16:15 says, He said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. <gasps> See? You have to believe, but you have to be baptized also. That's not the end of the verse. It says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, semicolon, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Years ago, I had a pastor who explained this, and I never forgot the explanation. He said, imagine you're at a truck stop or a, a bus stop, and this, this microphone is the bus sign. And you're waiting at the bus stop for the bus to come by, and the sign says, he that getteth on the bus and sitteth down goeth to town. And so you stand at the sign, and you wait for the bus to come. And then in smaller print, it says, he that doth not get on the bus doth not go to town. See, the truth is, it doesn't matter if you sit down on the bus. You just got to get on the bus. Now, it is assumed that when you get on the bus, you're going to sit down. But you can ride a bus standing up. You can. I've seen it. I've done it. But the main thing is, is you got to get on the bus. Because if you sit down out here, you won't be on the bus. So he that getteth on the bus and sitteth down goeth to town. Nothing wrong with that. But he that getteth not on the bus will not go to town. That's clear. So let's go back to the verse. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But here's the key. He that believeth not will be lost. The baptism is something we assume you will do after you believe. We call it believer's baptism. Just like we assume that once you get on the bus, you will sit down and go to town. But even if you're stubborn and you don't sit down, you're still going to go to town as long as you're on that bus. And our friend Jim <laughs> said, I was just stubborn. I was trying to claim the thief on the cross as my excuse for all. I didn't have to sit down. But then I realized Jesus got baptized and I need to follow his example and obey what he said. This right here says something about me. Either I'm a fake or I really am married. It's just a little gold circle thing that I wear on my finger. But this does not make me married. It just tells you that I am. And baptism does not make you a believer or a Christian. But if you are one, it tells everybody you are. And it'd be a shame for me to get married and not want to wear the ring. So how important is the believing? Well, it's essential. It's what's necessary. Now, how much belief is necessary? Back there in Acts chapter 8 and verse 37, if thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be heart for with the heart thou shalt be saved for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Skip down to verse 13 it says for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 9 and 10 says if thou believe in thine heart. Confession is made with the mouth, but belief 
is in the heart with all thine heart. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. What does it mean with all thine heart? When someone says, well, you got to believe, but you also got to do this too. That's not with all thine heart. You don't have all your heart on one thing and that is him. If I were to stand on two chairs today, I would have all of me on two chairs, but it wouldn't be all of me on one chair. And when it comes to salvation, you can't have part of it on Jesus and the other part on something you do. It has to be all on the Lord Jesus Christ and for it to be all thine heart. I read about a story of a a lady who uh, had Alzheimer's. She was losing her memory. And uh, S.D. Gordon tells of this old Christian woman, excuse me, who was age had begun to tell on her memory and she once knew so much of the Bible by heart, but eventually only uh, a little bit was staying with her. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, For I know whom I have believed. By the way, if you have believed, you know it. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What I love about that verse, there's so much in there, but one thing is you believe on a whom. It's a whom that you believe in. You're believing on a person. And not only that, but it says, I've committed unto him. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that. A lot of people think, well, I'm afraid that I've lost my salvation. Listen, you can't keep your salvation to begin with. It's not for you to keep. It's for him to keep. He keeps it, not me. If, if, if you could lose it, friend, you didn't get it in the first place. Salvation's not something you did to earn, and it's not something, therefore, you can do to unearn. That's the beauty of it. It's truly a gift. This woman, her favorite verse was, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. But by and by, a little at a time, her memory would slip as she was aging and she was starting to fail in her health. Finally, at last, she was just laying quietly on the hospital bed, just hardly even able to move, but they noticed her lips were moving. She would start to say, that which I have committed unto him, and she'd start to only say part of the verse. And Finally, when she was about to leave this world, they bent down when they could see her lips moving again, and the only thing that she was saying was, him. 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 She'd lost all the other words. But she still had him. She'd lost the whole Bible, but one word, but she had that whole Bible in that one word. Friend, if you were to die and stand before God, and they would ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Of course, that won't happen. He already knows whether you are saved or not, but the only answer is him. I trust in him. I've trusted and am trusting in him. If someone were to ask you, but I happen to know of some evil that you've done in your life. Yes, but him. He has forgiven and he has paid it on the cross. Look with me in Luke chapter 22 and verse 66. Luke 22. 
And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, I, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we have any further witnesses? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. Did you notice what he said in verse 67? Even if I told you the truth, you won't believe it. i tell you something. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is necessary for salvation. If someone says, well, I do believe Jesus was a good man, but I just don't believe he was the Son of God, virgin born. I must tell you that that person is not correct. That person is using a false excuse, and that person is very wrong. In fact, what I would say to that person is, that's impossible Jesus can't be a good man and not Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why? Because he said he was the Son of God. And good men don't lie, and they don't lead other men to give their lives for a lie. So either Jesus Christ is who he said he was, the Son of God, the Messiah, or he was one of the most evil men that ever lived. Because he's led a false religion. How much belief is necessary? The belief that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, notice we read about belief in thine heart. My dad used to say a lot of people are 18 inches from hell. What he meant by that is you take a a measuring ruler, a tape measure, and you can go about 18 inches from your brain down to your heart. Just because you believe mentally that there was a historical Jesus doesn't believe mean that you are a believer in your heart. I want to be careful with this because obviously you have to know in your brain who Jesus is in order to believe in your heart. But may I say to you that just because people have knowledge of Jesus in their mind does not mean that they have him in their heart. What do I mean? Well, James chapter 2 says the devil believes. But I know the devil's not a Christian. The devil knows that Jesus is God. But that doesn't mean he is a believer with all his heart. With all your heart means to trust in him with all your heart. You just know that he is God and that he is willing and ready to save you. And if you're saved, he has. It doesn't say with all your mind. It says with all your heart. This is the beauty of it because my father has Alzheimer's. It could be that my father will forget the day that he prayed and asked Jesus to save him. It could be that my father will forget how to tell you how to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He was here last Sunday night. I asked him to pray. He said, I'm afraid I can't. I'm going to tell you something. I'm so thankful that his salvation isn't up to his memory. It's up to his memory. But amazingly, as we turn to 1 John chapter number 5, amazingly, there are people out there, and we know this to be true, that would rather believe a lie. A wise observer of mankind once said, most people don't want the truth. 
They just want constant reassurance that what they believe is the truth. Many would rather believe a lie than the truth. If that's not you, I'm glad to hear that. Because an honest heart is a heart that can believe with all his heart. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 10, it says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. If you are saved, the Holy Spirit in you is confirming that. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe in the name of the Son of God. What is that saying there in verse number 10? You make him a liar? Would you, would you want to make God a liar? How do you make God a liar? Well, let's just put it this way. If after church today, you were to say to me, Pastor, tomorrow I'm going up to Rapid City and I'm going over to the Goodyear and I'm going to buy new tires for my truck. And I would say, no, you're not. No, I am. I, that's, that is exactly what I'm going to do. And then Tuesday, I see you and on Tuesday we talk and Pastor, I did exactly what I said. I went yesterday to Rapid City and I bought new tires for my truck. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Are you calling me a liar? Exactly. When someone denies the salvation that God has given through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and says there's, there's other ways to be saved, they're calling God a liar. When someone refutes what, or tries to refute what we've talked about today and tries to argue it, they're saying, no, that's not true. They're making God's word a lie. And when you'd rather believe a lie because it's more convenient for you, you know this. When you start to lie, other people have to lie around you. You, you know that's so. In order for someone to live in a pretend world, you've got to start living a lie. You know, I've said this a few weeks ago that I was at Menards and there was this great big burly dude with a dress and makeup on. Hi, can I help you? Listen. The reason why people are living this way and demanding laws to be changed is because they can't just pretend for themselves. They got to get everybody around them to pretend. This happens sometimes when a pastor is dealing with a family member whose loved one has passed away. Pastor, pastor, they're in heaven, aren't they? I don't know. Well, they were good. Well, that, that's not how you go to heaven. Pastor, you're not going to tell me my child's in hell. Well, salvation's the same no matter who dies and who doesn't. It's still the same truth. Can't lie to make you feel better. Even though I'd like to make you feel better, I can't lie to make you feel better. One man years ago said to me, if you're telling me my wife is in hell, then I'd rather go to hell than heaven. I said, sir, I understand your, your, your emotions right now, however. Let me show you in Luke 16 where a man went to hell and he begged that someone would tell his family not to go with him. We can't change the truth because it hurts. 
because if we do, we're going to call God a liar. I also think this is part of the reason why the Bibles are being changed and why the way of salvation in many minds have been cha- has been changed. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is a very serious warning. Let me give it to you. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. My father was baptized as a baby in the Lutheran church. He didn't even know it. When he got saved in his 20s, he was gloriously born again. And he said to my grandmother, his mother, Mom, I'm going to get baptized. I'd like you to come and be a part of that and see that. And she said, you already were baptized when you were a baby. He said, Mom, I don't even remember that. Mom, I'm getting baptized now because now I'm a believer. My grandma said, I'm not coming. And as hard as it was for him to have to stand up to his mother and, and defy her, her religion and her baptism, he did the right thing, and I'm so thankful. And the good news is, about 10 years later, my dad became a pastor himself. And all through that time, he kept witnessing to my grandparents. And they got saved. And then my dad baptized his own mother. But folks, when you compromise with truth because you don't want to hurt mom or you don't want to hurt loved one or you don't want to hurt spouse or you don't want to hurt your neighbor or your coworker, you're not doing anybody any favors. This world needs the truth. And here's what happens if you reject the truth long enough. Here's what happens. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Do you realize what it's saying there? It's saying, if you hate the truth long enough, God will step back and say, okay, I'll turn you over to a reprobate mind. And then you'll just believe the lie. That's dangerous. I hope you love truth. I hope you're desiring to know more about truth. You, uh, you don't want to be like this. Verse 12. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth. But had pleasure in unrighteousness. I have recently this year heard thousands of people getting baptized, hundreds of people getting baptized. Man, that sounds like a good thing, but I'm going to tell you right now. Baptism is not what takes people to heaven. I hope they got baptized because they got saved first. But I happen to know there's a whole lot of churches and a whole lot of ministers and there's a whole lot of priests out there that are skipping verse 37. And then it's a whole lot more convenient. But it's not the truth. One man in Acts 26 said, Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Paul said, I I wish it were not just almost, but altogether. Don't be deceived. Believe on him alone. In Acts 16.31, and I'm done, 
there was the Philippian jailer who had Paul and Silas in prison. And God did a miracle and shook the entire prison with an earthquake and everything fell apart and the doors swung open and yet none of the prisoners escaped. Paul and Silas had a testimony of singing and praising God. The Philippian jailer knew that these men were different and when the prison was broken open and he was bound to lose his prisoners, he was going to kill himself. And Paul cried out in verse 28, Do thyself no harm, we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want what you have. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You just believe on him. You just trust in him and you believe on him. That's how you get saved. And after salvation, you believe on him, put on the wedding ring. Identify with him by baptism. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Why? To identify with him. In the old days, Everybody lived around water, so it was just a natural thing. People would gather around, and they'd see someone get baptized, and they would recognize this person's doing something odd. What's going on here? I believe and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection. I know that even if I die, I'm going to live again because he died and lives again. Five, six hundred years ago during the Dark Ages, the state religion of Europe was very much opposed to the Anabaptists, these other baptizers. And so they said, you like baptism so much? And they caught all these Christians that were believing and then getting baptized like my father at at, at an adult age. And they said, fine, we'll baptize you. They chained them together and drowned them in the river. And in spite of that kind of punishment, the believers said it's still worth it to believe There's a weird painting out there of a man with no shirt on getting whipped. That's in Boston in 1651, downtown Boston, right where the state house is, right on the Freedom Trail. But in 1651, there wasn't freedom of religion in this this country. And the state of Massachusetts had a state religion of congregational. And Obadiah Holmes and his pastor and one other man had a Bible study in a home of a Massachusetts couple who couldn't cross the state line into Rhode Island. And so they had this Bible study illegal in the home of a Massachusetts couple. They got caught. They got jailed. And Obadiah Holmes was whipped 30 times with a three-quarted whip. They say the blood ran down his backside and down his legs and filled his shoes. He couldn't sleep on his back. It hurt so bad curled up in a fetal position in pain. But there were men there that watched that and said, that man believes something. Anne can't be here today, but she'll be back with us next week, I believe. But Anne in her 70s said last week, I believe something. And you know, when you get baptized, not only do you obey the Lord Jesus Christ, but you are a testimony just by what you're doing that you believe in him and you cause others to think. There are young people going home to their parents saying, Mom and Dad, I want to get baptized. I've been saved. 
There are other people that have seen someone get baptized even last week and are now saying, Pastor, I want to talk about baptism. And I'm telling you, every one of us, when we obey, just like my father, when we obey Jesus and we identify with him and do what he says to do, it causes somebody else to realize, I need to do that too. I praise God for this event that we get to do again today. It's special. It's special because, well, it means that Jim has finally publicly acknowledged that he is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and he's not afraid to identify with Christ and us. It's special because I know that someone's looking over from heaven and rejoicing. And it's special because it speaks to all of us as a testimony. It's special because it's obedience to him. I wonder if there'd be someone here today, you're not sure you're saved. You thought you were until you walked in here today. But now you realize that baptism is not what saves you. And you're starting to wonder about some things. I want to encourage you to talk with me or some other Christian about the gospel. Maybe you've been saved, but you've not been baptized since your salvation. Baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a picture of our death, burial, and and future resurrection as well. When you bury a dead body, you don't take a little dirt and sprinkle it on it. And if someone took a little water and sprinkled it on you, that wasn't baptism either. And so that's why in deep water, we bury them and bring them back out as a picture of what we believe. Maybe you also need to talk about baptism. And maybe it would be a chance for you to then say to your relatives and to your friends and neighbors, I'm getting baptized because now I understand and I believe. With our heads bowed, I want to pray and then we'll ask Sam to lead us.